0: Welcome to this Sustainable Self-Development Hypertrophy Sode, where it's all about sustainably hardcore ways to maximize muscle growth. We talk about everything that is related to muscle growth. Training intensity, rep ranges, special training techniques, progression schemes, injury prevention, exercise selection. Take your pick before the hypertrophy sode picks you. So the topic of today, this today's discussion is uh, selecting exercises for certain body parts. And we are going to pick out a couple of body parts that we are going to introduce uh, in a couple of seconds. And you've written some really cool guides um, that I will link to in the show notes on, on training certain body parts. So it's really good to discuss this with you. So first, maybe just in a general sense, um, What can we tell people about selecting exercises for for any given body part? Like what kind of factors should they take into account when they do that?
1: Well, the first thing to say is there's constantly new research coming out on body parts. And so there's no exact science to the best exercise, so to speak. So considering a lot of different things, and also personalizing it to you is the best thing that you can do. Anybody saying that this one exercise is the hands down best exercise, point blank period, there is no room for discussion or debate. It That's just not true because people are different. Things work differently for different people. So that's thing number one to, to know. Um, the next thing I would say to consider is the freeness of the exercise. So the more movement the body can do, the better the exercise is going to be for that muscle. That's what's been reported in the research. For example, uh, closed chain exercises, exercises in which the body itself is moving as opposed to just the weight have been found to be superior to open chain exercises, which are exercises where the weight is just moving. So. Closed chain exercise would be a push up open chain would be a bench press. I think a lot of people kind of naturally gravitate, especially us guys We naturally gravitate toward the bench press as the king of upper body exercises. And it's a great exercise. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there was one study where they measured strength in the bench press and they had one group use the bench press. To increase strength and the other group used the push up to increase strength. And they were found to have the same amount of increase in bench press strength, which is crazy because of the law of specificity, right? Like the group that was bench pressing should have got better at the bench press than the people who weren't bench pressing, but that didn't happen, which is a suggestion that the closed chain exercise is better. That's been found with uh, pull ups versus rows. Uh, squats versus the leg press, so to um, lunges better than the leg press, and so on and so forth. So, if your body is moving, that's more than likely going to be a better exercise than an exercise in which just the weight is
0: moving. And, and do you have any hypothesis as as to why that is the case?
1: Well, I have a theory, and once again, I gotta, I, I'm gonna give myself a disclaimer here. It's just a theory. I have no actual solid evidence for this, but when doing a closed chain exercise or a more free exercise, so to speak, uh, the body is shifting back and forth. There's, there's shaking. The resistance is shifting back and forth. It's rare that you'll see a person who does a flawless squat where the bar path is straight up and down. Usually there's some shifting back and forth, especially when the weights get heavier and there's also research that suggests that different muscle fibers will take over uh at different points of the movement so it's almost like the muscle fiber that has the most leverage at any given second will do the work so my theory is that as you're shifting the different muscle fibers are taking over whereas there's no shifting when you're doing a leg press, for example. So there's those few five, not few fibers, but there are less fibers involved in that than there would be on a squat where you're moving more. That's my, I guess, hypothesis on that.
0: Right. So so basically when you're doing a closed chain exercise, which for people who are not sure, just like you said, a push-up versus a bench press where your body is moving away from from the object is a closed-chain exercise, whereas when the object is moving away from your body would be an open-chain exercise. So with closed-chain exercises, basically your body is auto-regulating how it distributes stress over different tissues when it's necessary, right?
1: Right, exactly. And during an open-chain exercise or a less free exercise like a leg extension, a leg, uh, press or whatever, the body doesn't have a chance to decide where the stress needs to go at any given second. It's, it is where it is because you're on a set path. So stay away. My general suggestion, uh, for, you know, healthy people with no injuries and things like that is to stay away from the machines as much as possible. Now, there are some body parts where, for example, like the lateral delt, um, in order to to train that function, uh, shoulder, I always get these two mixed up, shoulder adduction. Yeah, yeah.
0: How to flexion.
1: Yeah. Uh, Flexion is uh, to the front, extension is like a row. I think it's abduction out from the body but anyway the lateral raise movement uh, which most people know there's no real I guess uh, compound exercise there are no real free exercises to mimic that so you're gonna need to do a cable or some type of machine you can use dumbbells but that's still that's still less free than, say, a squat would be for the quads. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but ju- just, just so people can kind of picture it for themselves, like uh, when we talk about a lateral raise, which we will get into later, but um, taking this freeness factor into account, a lateral raise with dumbbells would be superior than, for example, a delt machine where you're sitting into it and there is just one movement pattern that your body is forced into, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the more free it is, the better it's going to be. So I right. would put, just as to like establish, I guess, a hierarchy, I would put exercises on rings for the upper body as in regards to freeness, because there's so much shifting that's going on. There's so much movement occurring as you're going up and down and pressing, uh, Say, for example, a ring push-up, I would put above a push-up on the ground
0: mm-hmm.
1: because the rings are moving.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it lo- allows for the rotation in, in your wrist and, and all these kinds of things. Um, and now what about a compound versus isolation exercises? That's kind of a, a big debate. Uh, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, so when you're talking about economy of time, I think that's one thing that kind of doesn't get brought up in that debate is just if you have an exercise that's going to properly train, for example, the quads and the glutes, then why do an exercise that's going to train just one of them? You may as well do both at the same time to save yourself some time. People have jobs and families, and they most folks can't spend two, three hours in the gym. So you may as well just do a squat as opposed to a loop kickback and a leg extension. That's one mm-hmm. thing to consider: is is economy. Nobody want. Most people don't want to be in a gym for three hours. Um, it's also been found that. Uh, As you said, the tissue stress distribution is better with compound exercises, meaning, and I think that this has some type of connection to the closed chain, um, the closed chain uh, and the freeness point. Um, There's a more uniform uh, level of muscle growth with a compound exercise. So it's been found that with leg extensions, for example, a very particular part of the muscle is being recruited for different individuals. It was different amongst the subjects in the study that I'm talking about, but for each of them, there were more specific parts of the muscle that were receiving the tension as opposed to with the squat where, like I said, the tension was shifting from fiber to fiber throughout the movement. So more of the muscle did more work over the course of one rep. So I would also say try to go for compound as much as possible. If going back to the lateral raise, there is no compound exercise that's going to train that function. So for the lateral delt, you're going to need an isolation exercise. But I don't want people to buy into the, I don't think there needs to be a debate about it. I think that just look at the function of the muscle what does it do uh what's the most free exercise that can accomplish this function and go with that
0: right right um I guess there is also a principle um which is, is kind of um sort of an yeah it it is a principle it's not really uh something that um that is often talked about, but that is just specificity, right? That is what's uh, what bodybuilding is all about. Like it's just looking at what muscle you want to train and basically just looking at the function of that muscle. What is it doing on a joint and movement pattern kind of uh, basis and just training that movement pattern in whatever way possible, right? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, like I said, there's, there's no exact science to this stuff. There are strong suggestions made by science, but you really have to look at yourself and what you're trying to do, your limitations. Do you have any shoulder injuries? Does your uh, do you get discomfort when you do this exercise? Uh, does this feel bad? Does this feel good? Uh, Take the available science, try to be as objective as possible and move forward because also a lot of people and I run into this with uh, clients and things like that who have in the past had analysis paralysis when it comes to choosing exercises and the worst exercise is not doing it at all. (laughs) So don't get too caught up in in that make sure you're in the gym first and then worry about this stuff second
0: yeah and, and i guess also kind of anybody can relate to um what i'm about to tell is that like you have a program set up you, you're making good progress you're overloading your workouts week to week and then you read about some exercise on some blog that some guy says that is, this is the best. And you almost get an anxiety attack of like, Oh my God, I haven't incorporated this. How can I make up for the lost time? And it's really, it's the exercises that you're doing might be just as effective. So it is just, just something. Yeah. Like you said, paralysis analysis or mental masturbation, whatever we want to call it, but just you know exercise selection is um is an important component but one or two exercises are not going to make or break your program overall yeah exactly yeah just just calm down about, about it like don't
1: don't don't lose your mind don't get freaked out every time you see one of those new shiny articles on T Nation talking about you know dump the current exercise you're doing this new one is so much better it's it's fun to try stuff out, but being consistent with a program, this is also something I've found in my research is that so strength gains are usually made up of one of two things, uh, nervous system adaptation and muscle growth. So once the nervous system adaptation has occurred, which uh, on average takes about 10 weeks from what I've read, then you can pretty much count on additional strength gains being a result of muscle growth. So how about that? (laughs) No worries. So uh, you can count on the additional strength gains being the result of muscle growth. So switching exercises constantly, you're just putting yourself back into the nervous system adaptation phase you can't accurately tell if your program is working, if you continue to change the exercises constantly. So I I generally have clients stay using the same few exercises for a body part for a foreseeable amount of time and then use strength as a test for whether or not the exercise is working and whether or not the sets and reps and frequency and all that kind of stuff is working also. So Pick a few. Like I said, find uh, the ones that, based on your, and injury is another really important component. So there are people out there who just cannot squat. They can't do it. Their back's messed up. They have a busted knee. They just can't do it. So all those squats are probably the best exercise for the legs. For that person, they just can't squat. So you've got to find an alternative. So consider that, consider the freeness of the movement, um, and then pick a few and then stick with those. And if you're seeing results in three, four months or so, then it's working. And I would still stick with that at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean... I, I mean i had a shoulder injury like over a year ago and it's 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 a chronic nagging thing ever since and i just don't don't bench press i do do push-ups and um you know i had to come up with really creative ways of loading it and whatever but for a long time i was in this axiom of like no no i need to bench i need to bench and basically it just paralyzed me from training upper body almost altogether which was which was really dumb, but that's that's not uncommon, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and so. that's a good uh, that's a good point to make is is that there's no single exercise that you need to do. There are alternatives to every last one of them, so don't jam yourself into this this space that you just can't fit in.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, just one one last thing that I, I want to touch on. And actually, I want to bring it back for a second to what you said about the nervous system adaptation to certain exercises. Um, I, I, I would assume that this is somewhat confounded by the training age and also like how big of a deviation you make. So, for example, let's say a beginner starts squatting and it takes them quite some time to learn the correct movement pattern and whatever. And all of a sudden they switch that up to like a, a one-legged pistol squat or a, a Bulgarian split squat where they have to learn to balance and all of that stuff. There, the the issue with this delayed adaptation from a, a muscle size standpoint will be a lot bigger as opposed to like an advanced trainee switching out, for example, I don't know, uh, reverse dumbbell flies to upright rows. Like there will be less of a lack time because of the nervous system adaptation, right?
1: Yeah, so an advanced trainee is going to, their nervous system is going to be more adapted across, because after a certain amount of time, most people have tried just about every exercise that there is, especially the the passionate bodybuilder types, the passionate fitness types, right? Who are always looking for new stuff on the internet, finding new workouts, I was like that when I first started, so I've tried just about every tricep exercise, every quad exercise there is. I still find a new one every so often, but so because you've done more of these exercises, yeah, the nervous system is going to be a little bit more, depending on how long you've been training, but it's going to be more adapted across a wide range of exercises than someone who is brand new, who has no ad- adaptation at all. So yeah, like, yeah. for example, somebody who is like for me personally, I'll tell a story personally, I haven't, uh, heavy squatted in maybe a month and a half just because I couldn't get to a squat rack. And like I said, I've been pressed for time over these past few months with work and, and finishing my master's degree. So, When I wouldn't see a squat rack open, like, all right, forget it. Let me go do a a Bulgarian split squat or a pistol squat or whatever, lunge, whatever I can get my hands on so I can get out of here. And so I went back to squatting. Now, when I stopped squatting, I was doing about 330 for sets. Uh, My first time back, I did about 275 for 10 reps. And then the next time I squatted, maybe three days later, I was already back up to about 300, 310. My Mm -hmm. strength went up that quickly. But because there's already that adaptation there, the nervous system just kind of snapped back to the heavy squatting.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So now that's not gonna happen with somebody who's brand new, no
0: yeah exactly awesome uh so maybe uh let's run through a couple of body parts to uh illustrate for people what we are talking about here and uh, how you can apply these principles and maybe maybe along the way some more principles will come up naturally so let's uh, start with every guy's favorite body part uh or one of the favorite body parts the chest so um what would be uh some of your favorite exercises for the chest and and why
1: so I kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, but the ring push-up uh, is my personal number one as far mm-hmm. as uh, pec exercises. It's very free on the scale of freeness, so to speak. So the tension is constantly shifting. Now, the problem is starting on that exercise. A lot of people have trouble Getting the hang of the exercise. and so, if you have rings or uh, TRX system in your gym, I strongly suggest you try them out and give it a few weeks because at first, because the you're gonna be shaking the the rings are gonna be moving all over the place. You're gonna have trouble staying uh, in a in a up and down motion. The rings might slip out from under you or whatever. But just give it time and you'll, the nervous system will adapt to the movement and you'll get better at doing it. And also, uh, if you have a dip belt or a chin up belt at your gym, you can easily load the exercise, which becomes a problem with certain, uh, more free exercises is adding weight to them. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So with a dip belt, you can easily just add a two and a half pound plate. Uh, once you get good with that, add another two and a half pound plate, add a five pound plate. Slowly but surely build up in weight. Um, I Also, like ring flies, those are really tough. Uh, most people are going to have trouble doing those. Yeah. Uh, so I don't generally suggest those to folks unless you get very good at the ring pushups. Uh, add weight to the ring pushups. Um, get good at those first and then uh, then try out a ring fly. If you have a shoulder injury, I would just stay away from it, period. Uh, it can be tough on the shoulder joint. I would also say that uh, dumbbells are gonna be superior to the barbell because there's a longer range of motion and that's been found to be better for muscle growth also. The longer the range of motion, the better the exercise. Uh, dumbbells, you're not going to hit your chest with the bar and be stopped. The dumbbells can continue going backwards. So you'll get a longer range of motion with dumbbells. So I suggest a dumbbell bench press over a barbell bench press. Um, So push-ups at the top. If you don't have rings, then a regular push-up will be fine. Try to find a way to elevate yourself. So like find a box for your feet and maybe uh, use the bench from the bench press and do your push-ups on that elevate yourself and tie that dip belt around your waist to add weight to it yeah
0: you can also use a back backpack if you if you're <laughs> if you're not uh, afraid of strange looks in the gym
1: yeah don't be afraid of the strange looks you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get them yeah. can't worry about that so yeah so uh push-ups I put at the top. Uh, If you have rings, use those. If not, that's fine. Just do a regular push-up. Always try to get stronger. Make sure you're progressing uh, with weight and reps and all that. And then uh, dumbbell pressing exercises and fly exercises. And then I'd actually put the bench press. While I still think it's a good exercise, I would put that at the bottom. So, But I'm not saying... A lot of people get weirded out when I talk about this exercise versus that exercise. Uh, I've had full-blown arguments with people about the pull-up versus the row. Uh, its I'm never saying that one of the exercises is bad. It's more of a good, better, best type of discussion. So bench press is good. Barbell bench press is good. Dumbbells are better. Push-ups are best. Ring push-ups, super, totally the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just um, one thing I would add on push-ups because um, <laughs> I've been forced to become kind of a a, a loopy on uh, on on push-ups because of my my nagging shoulder problems. Is that uh, for for people who do have shoulder problems, uh, the, while the rings are best technically because of the the reasons you mentioned um many times the lack of stability in the shoulder is is an issue which was for me so for those people uh doing like like you said on a, on a bench or even just holding on to a, bar- a barbell like on a smith put like on a smith machine and putting your your feet up to a box might be a good option and also also my coach uh, berge Fuggerly sent me um it's it's a tool that like I think they use it in the military. You can buy it for like a hundred bucks if you want to, and you can put it on your back and you can basically load it up with plates like you would you would put in a, on a barbell, basically. So it's a really really clever little tool. So people might uh, want to check that out. And also just for just so they know the conversion between a push-up and a bench press is basically Your body weight, like the weight you're lifting with a push-up, so your body weight plus the extra load times 0.7. So 70% of the entire load is what you're actually loading if you want to calculate that kind of stuff. So that's right.
1: Yeah, and uh, one more point on the shoulders because inevitably that comes up when you're talking about chest exercises because a lot of people run into issues with their shoulders from years of bench pressing and, and all this kind of stuff the the more you tuck the elbow to your side and externally rotate your shoulder joint the more room there will be in the joint for movement so for example a guillotine press which is aptly or accurately named right you're bringing the barbell right to about your clavicle and so the shoulder joint is internally rotated now the Pecs are stronger when the shoulder is internally rotated. So for pec growth, an internally rotated shoulder is better. But what is the worst thing for your pecs is if you can't train them because your shoulder blew up. So if you have any, any discomfort, any issues at all, I would tuck those elbows. Now, me personally, I can do a guillotine press without pain. I've been doing it for years now. Uh, And it doesn't bother me in the slightest. So I can do that. Other people cannot just do not get injured because then you can't train at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really for the purposes of bodybuilding, um, I would advise anybody unless like there are some people who just have the shoulder joint of a god and they can get away with anything if you're not one of those people and you su- suspect that you're prone to injury then just um, experiment with like what kind of widths uh, with the bar give you any sort of discomfort and I guess it would be good to go as wide as you can without having any kind of discomfort because that way you will stimulate the packs more but like you said nothing is worse than getting injured and not being able to train at all <laughs> yeah um one thing we haven't touched on is is uh cable flies uh what what are your your thoughts on on those So
1: I like cable flies they have to be they have to be done in a way in which the benefit of the cable is that you can adjust it. You can adjust the line of resistance. We haven't really talked about line of resistance. That's a, uh, or line of action. That's a biomechanics term. Basically the direction that the, uh, resistance or the tension is coming from. So with a free weight exercise or a closed chain exercise, the line of tension is straight up and down because of gravity. With, A cable exercise the line of tension is the cable itself with a machine it varies throughout the the movement it's it's shifting that's the way they're designed so you can't really tell with a machine just from looking at it but the advantage with the cable is being able to adjust the line of resistance at will so with a cable fly You know, you're going to want the resistance to be coming from behind you and to the side of you. So like, uh, I guess, a 45 degree angle uh, Mm -hmm. about and you're going to want there to be tension on that muscle throughout the entire movement, because that's the entire point of the cable. If there's not tension at any point, then you may as well be doing something else. Yeah, you know, that I mean, that's how uh, a dumbbell fly, for example, at the very top of the movement, there's no there's not really any tension anymore because the line of resistance is going straight through the dumbbell and straight through your chest. So your chest doesn't have to do anything because the line of resistance is in line with the pec or the yeah. pass. So. Just make sure that that the tension is constant throughout the movement. So aim for that angle, that 45 degree angle behind you. And when you come out to your sides, make sure it's still pulling. because some people will do a fly in which it's not coming from behind them, right? The, the cables are just directly out to the sides. And so as they come closer, there's a lot of tension at the end of the movement when they cross their arms and just touch the, touch their fists yeah. and out to the side, Because the your arm is in line with the line of resistance, the muscles don't have to do anything. You know, that's that's like if you're standing upright with a barbell on your back, you can do that all Mm -hmm. day because the, the muscles don't have to do anything. Because your joints and your muscles are in line with the line of resistance. So, yeah, aim for that 45 degree angle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh I guess um just just one thing to touch on with um with the pecs because that's that's a, another big concern of guys is the whole upper chest versus the rest of the chest kind of question and like incline movements versus non-incline movements. Uh what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, actually I want to do some more reading into this, but from what I've read so far, I haven't seen anything that suggested that there was a significantly greater amount of growth or tension on the upper pecs when doing an incline bench press i know that might uh, hurt some people's feelings there's a lot of people (laughs) get attached to you know as guys we all want that that upper chest you know just the way it looks we all want that i do Uh, I did nothing but incline movements for like two years. I didn't do a flat pressing exercise or fly all incline because I wanted that upper chest. So but from EMG studies, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know, is basically they measure the electrical activity of a muscle to tell how active it is during an exercise. From the EMG studies that I've read and I haven't read them all. So there may be something else out there that I haven't seen. But from what I have read, there's not there's not much of a difference. Maybe. I mean, we might be talking one to five percent difference in upper pec uh, activation with a flat versus incline. And it's the same thing for the lower pecs Um, that the, the decline doesn't do. Anything more than a flat will do for the lower pegs, because really there really is no lower peg, right? It's it's the yeah. the clavicular head, which is the upper part, and the sternal coastal head, which is everything else. So.
0: Yeah, I, I guess if, if people want to look into this more, I think Brett Contreras uh, wrote a really good article on this. I think it was published on T-Nation, and I I think he even touched on this in the Ellen Aragon research review, and there were some some interesting findings, like some that didn't even really make sense. Like, for example, the narrow stance push-up seemed to target the pecs more than the wide grip push-up, which like just thinking about it logically doesn't make much sense, but... That's what the EMG uh, studies seem to show. But I I will link link the article in the show notes if people want to check that out. Um, Yeah, I guess like just um, one thing to point out still like with the bench press is that um, also like if you go really heavy in weight and you have to do a really big arch with your back, that will probably in most cases turn it into more of a decline movement for a lot of people. So that's something to take into account. So at that point, again, it might be worthwhile to experiment with push-ups for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. EM- EMG studies are really interesting because, like I said, they, they find some very interesting stuff. For example, like with the leg extension, like certain parts of the quad are doing way more work than the other parts. And that's even within like a particular head. So there are four heads to the quadricep, right? Um, the vastus lateralis, which is the outer head, they found that certain parts of the vastus lateralis were doing a lot of work, and other parts were not. So, it's it's yeah, it's it's really interesting what they find, which is why I, I tend to tell people don't just make an assumption. Um, which is why I keep offering these disclaimers, which I really hate to do, but I feel it's necessary with exercise because. There are things that a lot of people believe in that seem logical, that seem reasonable, but that just aren't reflected in the research or the opposite thing is shown in the research. So definitely, you know, take a minute to, to look, do a simple search on PubMed and just see what the research says.
0: Yeah. And um just speaking of disclaimers, like, oh, by, by the way, how much, because I don't want to, like, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Like, how much? Um, uh, we can go can another, what? That's 12, we can go another 20. Cool beans. Then um, maybe, maybe at, at some point we can follow up with another episode with, like, discussing some other body parts or whatever, because then we don't don't have to rush rushing into a whole bunch of body parts just for the sake of doing it. So um, let's maybe... We can touch on the delts after this, and uh, just gonna make like one comment on on the chest. So, um, one thing to to or one thing I would be interested on your 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 opinion on is I see a big debate on this as well. That, for example, if we were to look at like one study group just doing like um, cable flies. Or uh, you know, like one arm standing cable flies, which I I like to do. And the other other group was to do bench press. Do you think that the bench press would produce more growth? Which I think intuitively every person would think that. But I mean, just from a muscle stimulation standpoint, it's just about putting the right stress on the muscle. That's what I would. That's what I would think. I, I don't know what what is your opinion?
1: Yeah, man. I'm not sure. They both have uh distinct advantages because there's two things that spur muscle growth um mechanical tension and metabolic stress so mechanical tension is basically the amount of weight and metabolic stress is basically higher reps right when you get a pump that's um metabolic stress accumulating right so with a bench press the mechanical tension could be way higher than it could be with a cable. So in that respect, the the bench press would have that advantage. In another respect, the cable exercise, you could definitely get a much, much, much longer range of motion uh, mm-hmm. with the cable exercise, which, you know, a longer range of motion has been shown, like I said, to be better for muscle growth. So I'm really not sure. It would probably depend on like the parameters of the studies and what they controlled for, because some studies, they'll compare a compound exercise versus an isolation exercise. Uh, but they won't, the, the way they set up the, the amount of weight for each exercise doesn't really make sense a lot of the time. Like they'll, they'll give, uh, similar amounts of weight on both exercises. And that's just not the way those exercises are done in a a practical setting. Most people are going to be doing way more weight on a bench press than they could do on a cable fly, which is why most people will do a cable fly after they do a bench press. So it doesn't really make sense to have people do much less weight on the bench press for the purpose of the study if that's not the way it's done in the real world.
0: Yeah, that's pretty silly, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that in research where they they just don't. I mean, I've read studies where they suggested that more volume was better for muscle growth, and then you read the study and they compared one set versus three sets.
0: Yeah.
1: Right, like who, who who's doing one set? Like, come on. Yeah. come on. Who's doing? Who's going to the gym doing one set and going home? I don't know anybody who does that. Minimum three per exercise and they'll do a person will do three or four exercises per body part. Yeah. You know, that's what most people are doing. So anyway, that's my criticism of the research world. Some of it doesn't get very practical, but yeah, it, w- it would depend on what they controlled for in the study. But like I said, you can't, you can't make any assumptions. One, one might be, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would hypothesize that like, I don't know, like doing 15 RMs with with a cable fly or, you know, reps of 15, which is a reasonable target to progressively overload them from time to time, and then doing like a 6 RM on the bench press. Over time, I would hypothesize that the hypertrophy would be similar. Like the only advantage I could see for the bench press is that maybe at certain point, As far as I know, there is some indication that as you get more advanced as a trainee, higher intensities are more beneficial at some point in your training, and that is just—I mean, that—that's just so much more suitable uh, to accomplish with the bench press. So that would be one advantage. But other than that, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It could go either way. Yeah. And you're right. It would probably be very similar amounts of muscle growth. And that's been found when they've compared uh, rep ranges or oh, there's always huge debates on rep ranges and what's better. And eight to 12 is how much you need to do if you want to body build and 12 plus is for endurance and six less is for strength. But that's not with, with strength that is supported with muscle growth. That's not, there's similar yeah. levels of muscle growth that happen across every rep range you can think of. So,
0: yeah. Cool. All right. I think we can knock off uh, chest and then we can uh, just move on to another body part. Uh, which one do you prefer, delts or arms? Which one would, would you prefer?
1: Uh, I'm actually writing like a like a bicep cheat sheet thing based on the science right now. So I got that fresh on my mind. So we could talk arms.
0: All right. Then let's go to arms. So uh, first, maybe let's go to every guy's favorite body part, biceps.
1: Yep. If if the biceps aren't the favorite, then it's the chest and vice versa. Vice versa. So, so but with biceps, uh, the research I've read has shown that there needs to be a movement that emphasizes the stretch and a movement that emphasizes the contraction. So a, a movement that would emphasize the stretch would be any curl in which your elbows are behind you. So an incline curl where you're laying back and, and letting your arms hang and curling like that, or a Bayesian curl, which you'll know about, which is, um, Minnow Henselman's invention. It's a cable curl, uh, with the cable set on the lowest pin and you step forward and basically just do a regular curl. But the resistance is coming from behind you and downward, kind of like with a, Incline curl, it's a similar line of resistance, but because it's a cable, the resistance is a little m- more consistent. Yeah. So that w- those would be stretch, emphasizing exercises, options. Um, and for contraction, anything standing upright, so just a regular standing dumbbell curl, or anything with the elbows in front of you, so a preacher curl. Um trying to think I don't know the name of it but I basically with the with the cable coming directly from in front of you and a guy will have his arm straight out in front of him and will do curls basically like bringing his fist to his forehead will be another example so anything where the elbow is beside you or in front of you could be uh, an exercise where the contraction is being emphasized so but that's right. to once again, different portions of the muscle taking over based on the line of resistance and how that's shifting and things like that. So, uh, yeah, pick one exercise from column A and column B, stretch and contraction. And I would do them on separate days. You know, like Monday do a contraction Wednesday do a stretch Friday do a contraction uh, Monday start all over again or something like that and yeah that's that's what I found for biceps
0: right and um, do you think there is a rule for or there like how important is the rotation of your wrist like uh, whether you're doing it like in a, a hammer curl style when your thumbs are pointing, towards the ceiling or whether you're doing it, I guess it would be externally rotated, right? Like when your thumbs are pointing outward. So that would be like a regular um, dumbbell or a barbell curl, for example. Um, What do you think is the... with, With a hammer
1: curl and with a reverse curl, basically adding the limitation of the forearms. So. The forearms are probably going to be able to do uh, less work than the bicep for most people. Uh, So basically, the forearm is going to tire more quickly than your bicep would. That's why you can do less weight on a forearm curl than you can on just a standard bicep curl, because the forearm is going to fatigue more quickly. So if you want to just train your biceps, then I would stick with uh, palms up on the exercise. Right. Uh, if you want to do both, I would go with like a hammer curl. That that would uh, train the forearms as well as the biceps. There's not too much of a limitation with a hammer curl. And with a reverse curl, you're gonna be getting more forearms because the, the forearms are gonna fatigue a whole lot quicker than the biceps. So. You could do a set to near failure or failure uh, for your forearms, but your biceps will still be ready for more. So there won't be a a proper amount of fatigue for the biceps in that context. So, yeah, palms up for just the bicep. You can do a hammer curl, which will do a good job for both forearms and biceps and then reverse curl if you just want to train your forearms by themselves.
0: Yeah. And, and so, so when you're um, like, would it make a difference if you start the movement with uh, your thumbs up and you're rotating your arm as you're doing the curl? So, you know, like the typical, ro- just rotating your forearm throughout the movement.
1: Would it make a difference for the biceps you mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yes. Because one of the functions of the bicep is uh, uh, basically twisting the forearm. So if you put your, your, arm out in front of you with your palm facing down, look at your bicep and then you twist your palm to where it's facing up, you'll see your bicep flex a little bit, right? It'll move. So that's one of the functions of the bicep. So by twisting, uh, you're training multiple functions of the bicep. So now that may be better. There's, I don't, I haven't seen any research to suggest it. So I'm not willing to say yes, that's better, but. Perhaps training multiple functions at the same time is better, maybe. Right. Uh, one thing that I like to do is uh, I would like to take a cable and, um, you know, those handles, it's like the piece of nylon that goes through the metal uh, yeah. or plastic piece. So basically you mm-hmm. can pull that plastic piece all the way to one side and just grab it like uh, like you would a dumbbell. Yeah. And yeah. So the resistance will be coming out of the pinky side of your hand, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, if you do that twisting motion, you've loaded the twist now, right? Like because yeah. the cable is pulling in the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So if you want to do that twisting curl, I would suggest you try that out because now with a with a dumbbell, the twist isn't really it's not loaded like it is with what I'm suggesting with the cable. I mean, the cable is pulling on the pinky side of your hand, so you have to resist it to twist your arm or your foot. So that's one little trick I found that um, people can try out.
0: Okay, fantastic. And then like uh, we forgot to mention like uh, chin ups. um, I don't know, I guess, preferably with the ring, that would be That would be another great exercise, right?
1: Yeah, the rings are the best, especially because people also run into pain with the pull-ups. They'll get um, some people end up with like elbow inflammation. Some people feel some shoulder issues. Um, Some people have wrist issues with the pull-ups. Now, the wrist issues specifically and also the shoulder issue are largely I can't say fixed, but they're helped a whole lot with the rings because you're not forced into this very specific plane of movement. Your wrists aren't stuck. Right. Your your body can move as it sees fit to deal with the stress that you're putting on it. So yeah. that using rings or even those like twisting uh, handles that they sell. I don't know what they're called. Yeah. But yeah, and there was even a study done where they compared all the different uh, pull-up variations, the chin-up, the pull-up. Uh, they even did the twisting pull-up with those, whatever they're called. Yeah. And they also looked at the kipping pull-up, the CrossFit staple, and okay. they found lat activity to be higher with the twisting pull-up than with all the other ones.
0: Okay, that's the awesome.
1: Kipping pull-up was dead last, by the way. Oh, <laughs> so, surprise,
0: surprise. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so I think uh, that pretty much knocks out the biceps. Um, so, yeah, what about the triceps then? Okay,
1: triceps. So there's this thing called uh, length-tension relationship. And I'm not going to – this also applies to the biceps, which is another theory why doing the contraction and the uh, – Stretch is a good idea, but I'm not going to beat you over the head with the science of this. Basically, any muscle that crosses over two joints can't properly act on those two joints at the same time. So Mm -hmm. if it's stretched at one joint, then it can't really stretch at the other one. And if it's contracted at one joint, it can't really contract at the other one. So this is why you'll hear people say. That the overhead extension is for the long head or that hanging uh, when you do like a double bicep the part of the tricep that you can see hanging from the arm yeah. that's why people say that the long head is trained by the overhead extension or skull crushers yeah because the tricep also crosses the shoulder joint and when the shoulder joint is extended like it is in a, in a like a tricep push down or really like it is in most tricep exercises, it can't properly, the long head can't properly contract at the elbow. So the other parts of the tricep take it over, right? The long head and the, uh, what is it? Not the long head, the lateral head and the the medial head. So a skull crusher, I think is better. Damn. People are already... Most people are already doing enough work for the lateral head. Every time you do a pushing exercise, you're training the the lateral head well. So for me personally, and with all my clients, the only isolation work I have them do for the triceps is for the long head of the triceps. Because it just doesn't get enough work with the standard tricep exercise. So a skull crusher. Uh, I don't actually suggest overhead extensions because you're actually doing the exact same thing that you would be doing with a push down. So with a push down, the, the shoulder is uh, flexed. Oh, no, excuse me. The shoulder is extended. Right. So because the tricep is contracted at the shoulder, the tricep can't contract at the elbow also. Right. Mm-hmm. The long head. When the elbow is above the head when you're doing an overhead extension now the tricep the long head is stretched at the shoulder joint and so it can't properly stretch at the elbow now and that's why when you put your your arm straight up and you bring your elbow back and you pull on it you feel that extreme stretch in the tricep is because it 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 literally is struggling to continue to stretch because it just there's, there's nothing left it can do. It's got no more room to stretch, right? It's, it's basically holding on for dear life. So yeah. the muscle can't do what it needs to do at the elbow when you're doing an overhead extension. So that's why I suggest the, the skull crusher with the elbow out in front of you. Now you're not uh, fully extended or fully flexed. And now the long head can do what it needs to do. It can, it's stronger in that position than it is in any other. So skull crusher. I also like to do, uh, cables or kettlebells in which the resistance is, is pulling back on me. Mm. So that way the, the resistance is a little bit more constant than with just a standard dumbbell. Because if the resistance is coming from behind you at an angle, Then when you extend the elbow, there's still tension because the cable is pulling backward with a dumbbell. It's not pulling backward. It's just there. And because your elbows are straight, all the joints are in line with the line of resistance. There's no more tension on the tricep. So, yeah, a cable or also a kettlebell, because of the way they're designed, it'll keep on pulling backwards when you get back here.
0: Yeah, the uh, the uh, um, with the skull crusher, a, a variation that I do is I think I heard it from Menno Hanselmanns, but I I think I've seen it from Mark Ripetto as well, called the skull over, which I, I guess would violate that principle that you just like it would be the same issue as with the overhead uh, tricep extension that you're letting the the bar all the way behind your head, like be underneath the bench and you're raising it up from there. Um, the only reason I, I like that more than the skull crusher is because the skull crusher is just beating the shit out of my elbows. And uh, with, by letting it further, you can kind of play around with the res- uh, resistance curve a little bit so that it's more elbow friendly. But again, that's kind of a individual stuff.
1: To that point, I'm glad you brought up the elbows because um a lot of people run into that issue also. Or what I suggest is actually blood flow restriction. So... I've been doing, um, I, I did my final project for school on blood flow restriction. So I combed through a ton of research and, um, also I, I use blood flow restriction myself and it's helped a lot with my joints because the weight is so little that you're using, you're using 20 to 50% of your one rep max on a given exercise. So the stress on the joints is minimal. Uh, it's yeah. tiny. So. What you could do is totally replace the heavy skull crusher, or even that exercise if it starts to give you pain. Um, or not replace it, but add blood flow restriction, and the less the lesser weight will help with the joint issues.
0: Yeah, and also you will get the sickest pump of your life, which is kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool man uh awesomeness uh i think we dropped a lot of cool knowledge and then uh if you're up to it then we can arrange maybe at some point uh we could do this again and go through some other body parts that guys would enjoy but yeah thank you so much i think this was very valuable and um, just maybe tell people where they can find you and what you're up to these days
1: uh yeah um i'm a writer For the most part, most of my content is uh, written content, although I do edit some videos for uh, my Instagram and stuff like that. But you can find me at Wilfredo, W-I-L-F-R-E-D-O, fitness.com. And uh, my Instagram is the same name, Instagram slash Wilfredo Fitness.
0: Alright guys, Abel here again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe on YouTube if you watched it there. I come out with new content every week there, whether it's in the form of a podcast episode like this, which I actually aim to do one of every week, or some shorter informational video. Also, if you could just leave a comment and suggest some people that you'd like me to interview, or just topics you'd like me to cover... Uh, it would be very helpful to know how I can better serve you. And if you listen to it in podcast format, if you could leave a rating on iTunes, it would greatly help out the show and I would be more than grateful for it. So thanks guys for hanging out up until now. Thanks for being here and see you all next week.